Good evening. If you would like to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, this will be the first text that we'll be looking at this evening. Before we start to dig into God's Word, let's go to our Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have claimed us as your people. We know that we do not deserve to be called your people. And so we acknowledge our absolute need and dependence upon your love that you poured out to us through your Son. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us what love is and teaching us about love. And Lord, we want to fulfill your desire for us to be a people shaped by love. We pray for our neighbors that they too may come to know you and to know your love that you have poured out for them as well. Lord, be with us this evening as we look at Your Word. We pray that Your Word and Your Spirit will always encourage us and shape us to be the people that You want us to be. And Father, we pray and ask for Your forgiveness. We pray that You might help us to grow. We ask all these things in Your Son's name. Amen. The theme for our congregation this year is faithful. This word recognizes that being a Christian that God would have us to be in, involves conforming to some sort of a standard. Conforming to something that when compared with our lives, we can be declared faithful. And there we have the, the sub-theme of a faithful servant, a faithful student, a faithful steward of what God has blessed us with. This morning as we plowed through the letter to the Ephesians, we saw that one part of being the people who God would have us to be involves following the command to live in love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. If we're going to be faithful to God, we need to be characterized by love. And it needs to look like the love that Christ gave as He died on the cross for us. Matthew is going to record what Jesus taught about the primacy of love for those who would follow God. The occasion is someone is testing Jesus. One of them, an expert in religious law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Jesus called loving others the second greatest aspect of what God wants us to be. The, the law points and showed how people were to live as God's people. And Jesus says the law is saying that the second most important thing is to love other people in the same way that you care about yourself. This is clearly at the core of what it means to be a person who is serving God, who's going to be faithful to God. And so whether we listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church about we need to have a life of love and it needs to look like Christ, or whether we listen to what Jesus taught, it is clear that God's will for His people is that they're going to be shaped by love. But how does this love shape a, a Christian's everyday life? Well, there, there's those two commandments. There's loving God, and that's going to entail offering to God in thankfulness, the reverence and the obedience that God deserves. Whatever God has commanded, and, and however that intersects with our daily life, we're obeying God, honoring God, and recognizing who He is, thankful for all He's done for us. But then as we turn to loving others as we love ourselves, that's going to involve actively seeking the well-being of other people. James wrote a letter to the early church. And in this letter, he focused upon the second principle that's so critical for being God's person, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He's going to focus upon loving your neighbor. He wrote, If you fulfill the royal law as expressed in this scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. These are easy words to read. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're enjoyable words to read. In fact, as we look at Scripture, they're expected words. We expect God's um, writers to, to communicate this message. Love others. But what may not be expected is that James found that as he's writing to Christians there in the first century... He is going to need to respond to some problems. He's going to need to fight against two forces that are creating barriers against loving one's neighbor. Forces that could distort their religious faith. You know, I'd like to believe that as James is writing to that first century church, that he's simply in tune and fully aware that God's people need to be reminded of the way that they need to walk. And so he's going to say and teach what he does because, well, this is good information. You need to be reminded. And that it's not a problem that they're actually experiencing. But when we read chapter 2 and verse 6, that does not sound like his motive. It sounds as though he's responding to a problem that they have. Because he says, but you have dishonored the poor. And so he seems to be asserting that at least some that he knew about in that first century who were supposed to be denying themselves, supposed to be picking up their cross and following Christ and loving other people and obeying God and loving Him, that some in fact were not doing this. 
and they were failing to love their neighbor. As we look at the challenge of loving our neighbor, we would be wise to have ears to hear and eyes to see what James wrote so long ago to Christians that came before us and were having difficulty, apparently, loving their neighbor. He's going to look at two barriers to loving our neighbor. The first of these is the barrier of prejudice and favoritism. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brothers, do not show prejudice. If you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Period. It's simple. It's bold. It's direct. If you're going to be a person who possesses faith in the Lord, if you're going to be a faithful person following the Lord, do not show prejudice. It doesn't belong. And then he provides an example. For if someone comes into your assembly wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, and a poor person enters in filthy clothing, do you pay attention to the one who is finely dressed? And say, you sit here in a good place. And to the poor, you say, well, stand over there or, or, or sit on the floor. If so, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? He'll go on to say, if you show prejudice, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. If we're going to be a people who are, is faithful to God, and we're going to live up to that motto that we have for this year, to be faithful, one of the things that cannot be a part of our lives is prejudice. And looking at people and, and distinguishing and setting some here and some higher and some lower. And pushing some further away and bringing others closer. Prejudice and favoritism will cause a person to seek the well-being of some. Yes, this person I, I can easily love. But prejudice and favoritism will cause us to dismiss the dignity and the needs of others. And you know, the fleshly nature, it encourages us to limit who we love. It's a temptation to, to draw a circle and make it smaller, more manageable, <laughs> of who we're going to love. There was a lawyer who tried to limit who he had to love. You know, who was his neighbor that he had to love? And so he asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor that I'm supposed to love? And Jesus responded by telling the story. The story of a man who was in Jerusalem and was headed down to Jericho. And as he's on the road, he falls among some, some robbers, some thieves, and, and they beat him up and, and they, they hurt him terribly and they just leave him on the road. And then along the road comes this religious person. This person who is supposed to be a child of God. Who is supposed to be living as God would have his people live. This was a priest. And as the priest comes along, he sees this, this man who's been beaten up lying on the side of the road. And he walks on the other side 
and just keeps on going. And Jesus says, well, then another man came along and, and he was a Levite. Again, you would expect this person to be a, a person of faith, a religious person, but he too walks by on the other side. And finally, a Samaritan comes along. A Samaritan. Those despised people by the Jews. A Samaritan. An enemy of the Jews. The Jews went and blew up the Samaritan temple. <laughs> the Samaritans retaliate. But the Samaritan comes along and he sees this man and he stops. And he, he tends to him and, and he puts him on his animal and he takes him to an, an inn. And then he tells the innkeeper, you know, you feed this man, you take care of him, you let him stay here, and, and here's some money to take care of him. When I come back, I'll settle up any bill he's got. And then Jesus turned to the lawyer who was trying to limit who the neighbor is and said, so who was the neighbor to the guy who was beaten up? And the lawyer says, well, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, go and do the same. In other words, you love your neighbor too. And your neighbor is even your enemy. In fact, when Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly what he says. He says, love your enemies. Oh, but Lord... This person is working against Christ. They do not believe in you. They're following other things that are not right. Given any opportunity, they will hurt you and your people. You want me to show love and care to that person? Lord, this person has not honored your ways. They have destroyed their lives and everyone around them. You want me to love that person? Love even your enemies. Jesus will tell. And he says, then you're going to be sons of your Father in heaven. Then you're going to look like you belong to God. Because what does God do? He sends his reign on the good and the evil. He loves everybody. And so you love everybody too. You can't have prejudice and distinguish between people. And James, in his letter, identifies the poor as one group of people that maybe God's people might be tempted to just push to the side. But if we cast off looking at people through the eyes of God and seeing people the way that God sees people, if we cast that off, then our fleshly minds can easily accumulate a long list of justification for why we need to love these people and why we can safely just exclude those and ignore them and not worry about it. See, prejudice and favoritism rears its ugly head. If we were to make statements like, well, we want this couple to become members in our church because they're the right kind of people to have. That's prejudice. Such a perspective is foreign to Christ. Because Christ died for all people. 
and he's calling all people. He, he, as he was talking to the Pharisees who were one time on his case, he said, I've come to call sinners to repentance. I'm calling people who know that they need help. And so God's people likewise must be calling everyone and people who know that they need help if we're going to look like Jesus and be His disciples. Because all people need what He has. All people, we need to be transformed more and more into the image of the Son. And He's a... The Son of God is one who loves people. You see... Maybe James knows people all too well. I don't know. He's just said that making distinctions and showing prejudice is sin. And maybe he anticipates what a person might do if they've lived that way previously. Maybe a person who has just discovered, you know, making distinctions between people causes me to sin, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just put everyone at the same level. <laughs> I'll just kind of step back and, and be kind to everybody and, and give them, you know, hello, how are you to everybody. And not just take that extra step to be actively engaged in loving them. And so James addresses the second barrier to loving our neighbor. The barrier of empty goodwill. James chapter 2. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself. He will go on to say, you believe that God is one? Well and good. Even the demons believe that and tremble with fear. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You see, the second enemy that cuts a person short from fulfilling the royal law to love one's neighbor as oneself involves empty pleasantries, being polite to those around us and not going beyond that. A person might, like, might feel like, you know, my faith is strong and, and vibrant, and, and this Christian might have a, a thorough knowledge of, of God and the Scriptures, but if it's not accompanied, if that knowledge, if that faith that the person has, the trust the person has in God does not motivate them to actively love, then James says that faith is dead. It's not worth anything. Although James does not use Jesus' language of discipleship, of picking up one's cross to follow Him, he describes what it means to be a disciple. And the path that James points us toward is one of love. And if we're going to actively love, that means that we cannot fill our agenda so full of ourselves that where there's people with need, 
we say, I'm sorry, be warmed and filled. I don't have the time. Hope everything goes well for you. James, what he writes, it's challenging. Because he puts teeth, he, he, he gets into the nitty gritty of, of what it means to love. And he says, if you're going to be a disciple, and you're going to love your neighbor as God wants you to, you can't have any part of prejudice and discrimination against people. And you can't have empty words of goodwill. You've got to be active. That can get challenging. <laughs> that can be challenging. This evening, I want to encourage us with the way that our congregation is showing love to this community. We have many ministries at MAC. I don't know the exact number at present, but it's over 35. And each of these ministries, in one way or another, is ultimately founded either directly or indirectly upon contributing to loving God and to loving others as we love ourselves. And tonight, in conjunction with the Care Cottage Open House, we're focusing on one way our congregation is seeking to show mercy and to show love through a ministry. A ministry that's housed on the other side of the parking lot. I'd like for you to meet some of our neighbors. Her name is Yolanda. She's a divorced single woman, about 60, who works as a custodian. She fell and hurt her tailbone. There's been some problems with workers' compensation, and she's trying to sort that out. She's waiting on a hearing. When she came, she came with all the documentation to show that the story she was telling was true. She was referred to us by unemployment. When I talked with her, she had already been over to the care cottage. And as I talked with her, and she talked about the food that she had just received. Her emotions poured forth. As she described what that 40 pounds of food meant for her that day. Meet Daryl. He worked security. But his hours were reduced. And what little money he had was quickly eaten up as he looked for additional part-time work. And it did not take long before what he did have was gone and he was facing eviction. The care cottage afforded him the dignity of doing something for himself. It enabled him to save a little bit of money, a little bit of food money, because the care cottage gave him food. And so he could take a little bit of the money that he had that he would have spent on food, and he could do something for himself by using it toward his rent. 
this ministry is designed to help people in crisis. And whether they are within our church family or whether they're in the community, you see, everybody's our neighbor. And if we're going to look like Christ, we're going to love our neighbor. And the assistance is not intended to be a permanent support system. We cannot afford that. That's not being responsible. But what we can do is we can provide a temporary measure to help someone get over a crisis, a hump. And part of your contribution goes to purchasing food every month that's going out into this community. Every month we rent a 14-foot U-Haul truck. And we put in it cases and cases and cases of food. And it goes to the care cottage and is unloaded. And then on Monday, the clothes that have been donated during the previous week, they're sorted and, and prepared and hung so that when the community comes in on Wednesday and Friday morning, there is food available. There is clothing available to bless them. And so volunteers on Wednesday and Friday, they, they pack food into bags. They, they greet our clients. They, they help them carry their groceries to the car. They, they input information in. And people are given the opportunity to see what the love of Christ does in a person's life and how it can influence and impact others. And they learn how love can help a person get through a bad spell. Laura came to our care cottage. Early childhood intervention referred Laura to us. The MacArthur Park Church of Christ has a re reputation in the community as being a place where love is put into action. Laura is a single mother of four children who is also an online university student. The father is not paying child support. One of her children has Down, Down syndrome, and this child requires her attention and, and prevents her from working. During the school year, her kids eat breakfast and lunch on a school program, but during the summer, things get very tight. The food stamps are not enough. Her resources are stretched so thin that she needs to find additional help. She had documentation to substantiate all that she was telling us. And by the time she visited our care cottage, she had already sold her TV so that she could have funds for her family. Through the care cottage, you helped Laura. The Care Cottage, this ministry is aware that loving people by giving them food and clothing is important, but love cannot stop there. Because their greatest need, our greatest need, everyone's greatest need is a spiritual one. They, we all need the love that came from Christ when He died on the cross and His blood. And so at the Care Cottage... When a person comes in at that front desk and they fill out a form, they're made aware that if they want a Bible study, they can have one. 
There is on the wall a new electronic sign that advertises many messages. And, and one of those messages, if you want a Bible study, it's available. On the wall there's a small rack that has these little pamphlets. One is entitled, Why is Jesus so important for our lives? The other has forgiveness, belonging to God, starting a new spiritual life. There's also a small printed brochure that's put into every bag of food that goes out. There's a youth calendar there so that as our clients come in, there's the opportunity if they have children to point them to the activities coming up and they can see and learn about how their children can come and, and become engaged and involved in spiritual things with other kids. And sometimes our clients indicate, yeah, yes, I would like a Bible study. And these Bible studies have turned into new members of our congregation. One of those requesting a, a Bible study was Urena. It was after a number of studies that she decided that she needed to rely upon our Lord. And she was baptized into Christ and became our sister. And she worshipped with us until she moved to the East Coast. Among those who have become members of our congregation in recent years are several of whom our first contact with them was through the care cottage. You see, this is a ministry that is reaching out with love to change lives. Not just by providing food and clothing, but also by pointing people to the bread of life whom we all are dependent on. Now, some of you have already gone to the Care Cottage open house this afternoon from 5 to 6, and perhaps you would have seen that new electronic sign. If you haven't seen it yet, you need to get over there. But, but you also learned about how the, the food and the clothing processes work. You saw how we're pointing people to Jesus. You experienced that place where our community is going to encounter the difference that the love of Christ can make in someone's life so they show love to another person. And if you have not yet had the opportunity to go over, especially if you're a new member and you've not seen the care cottage, it's going to be open for a few minutes after services, and I would encourage you to go over and to look at this, this ministry. You know, several, several years ago, there was a class of very short people, I mean like six years old, that went over to tour the care cottage. And, and as I was giving this tour, at the end of it, a parent of, of one of these children said, I didn't know we were doing this. And this person had been a member of our congregation for a couple of years. And that's why we have an open house, so that we can all be aware of what we're trying to do in this particular way to love our neighbor as ourself. David Banton is currently the ministry leader for the Care Cottage and if the idea of unloading a truck or sorting clothes or engaging with the public or doing data entry or, or any of the other ways that our volunteers serve, if that's the sort of thing that you're interested in, he'd be the person to talk to. I'd like to close our, our thoughts this evening about the challenge to love our neighbor with a little article I wrote about a year ago 
when I was thinking about James and how James identifies two barriers to loving. I entitled it, The Challenge to Love. I do not know how Susan rings the church office doorbell. Presumably, she holds something in her hand to depress the white button. To my shame, I have forgotten the name of her skin condition that has deformed her hands as it tightened her epidermis like the taunt surface of a balloon set to explode. To prevent further complications, she avoids all direct human contact as well as any object that others have handled. As might be anticipated, she's not employed. She is unmarried. She is among the poor of our land. Susan evokes various reactions from people. Sometimes she is the recipient of sympathy and pity, while others may simply pretend she is not there or keep their distance unsure of what to say or to do. Since she can be demanding and rude at times, some probably respond curtly. She is among the poor of our land. Nearly 2,000 years ago, when James wrote his letter to the early church, exalting the principle of, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he identified two barricades to exemplifying love. Prejudice threatens to extinguish love as it fosters becoming judges with evil motives. Writing bluntly, James commanded, Do not show prejudice if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Discrimination would prompt us to treat people in different ways, thereby shutting down the spigot of love towards some. The other insidious enemy of love entails extending mere pleasantries. Having said kind words, go in peace, keep warm and eat well. A Christian might feel vindicated as a godly, loving person. James rips the mask of politeness away from a religious faith devoid of action to expose a worthless religious corpse. To quote, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. The challenge to genuinely and actively seek the well-being of others, whether they be poor or not, can be challenging, even without these two barricades. Empowering self-destructive ways is not love. Neither does love turn a blind eye or, or offer mere pleasantries and platitudes. Whether rich or poor, whether oriental or occidental, everyone can justifiably sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, because Jesus actually did something for all of us. He gave His life for us upon the cross. He loved us. As Jesus' followers, 
does everyone in our communities and those who walk into our assemblies have reason to believe that we love them? Jesus loves me, this I know. He died for us. He made it possible that we can receive all that His death could afford us. We could be forgiven and claimed as God's children. If you have not yet given your life to Christ and relied on Him, we invite you this evening to come and to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God who died for you and was raised again. And to rely and trust in, in this One whose death can save you by being buried with Him in baptism and then raised up into a new life. A life that God's power creates and He gives you. If there's any way that you need to respond, why not now as we stand and sing?